This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, the offseason is in full swing. We must officially bid farewell to Robert Sala, as he is now the head coach of the New York Jets. And with me this week, we actually have a very, very special guest. It's Matt Barrows from The Athletic. He joins us to talk about all the recent news, all of the impacts of the coaching staff. We get a really good look at D'Amico Ryans, the new defensive coordinator, since he's writing an article, a profile piece on D'Amico Ryans. So we get a little bit of info from there. Uh, we even talk about the breaking news about Martin Mayhew, a little bit of Deshaun Watson, and even getting some quick hits before we say goodbye to Matt Barrows. So it's, it was a really, really fun conversation, as it always is when Barrows joins. But we jumped right into it. As soon as we got on the phone, we basically jumped right in. So we're going to jump right into the interview as well. Here's Matt Barrows from The Athletic. Hey, Oscar. What's going on? Nothing much. Just a little little breaking news about Martin Mayhew. Yeah, I think that was uh, definitely unexpected from the 49ers' perspective. Uh, yeah, they knew that they were losing Martin, but um, they didn't think they'd be getting a an extra third-rounder for him. Yeah, let's let's That's jump right in. Uh, let's jump right in. I, I actually had thought about starting with Robert Sala, but given the breaking news, let's talk about good old Martin Mayhew. Uh, he was originally hired for an unspecified role with the Washington football team. Um, you, every time I see Washington, by the way, I just think about your Daryl Green stories and think that you're secretly, <laughs> secretly right. a fan for them. But he uh, he was originally hired for an, an undisclosed position. And then it turns out, oh, that position's general manager. Uh, so here you go. The, the Niners now get an extra third-round pick, which if I'm doing the, the math right, I know the, the rule is written kind of weird, but now they get an extra pick, an extra third-round compensatory pick in each of the next three drafts. So that's 2021, 2022, and 2023. It's a nice little bonus for the 49ers. Yeah, I mean, those are, those are valuable picks. And, um, you know, we've been writing about this a lot, but uh, when you're in kind of salary cap straits like the 49ers are in, you need those picks. I mean, those are those are cheap players, cheap talent uh, when it comes to the, the salary cap. So the, the more, the better. And, um, you know, uh, I don't think that John Lynch wants to, to lose anyone and uh, Kyle Shanahan, the same thing with Robert Sala. But I mean, that's that's a new rule. I mean, that that, that didn't that wouldn't have existed last year. Uh, so uh, the 49ers are getting lucky that people are poaching their staff this year and they're at least getting compensation for some of the, the losses. And the extra little bonus is that those compensatory picks can be traded because that's a rule that I think is now two years old or so, maybe three. Uh, but compensatory picks cannot be traded, which means that you've got more fuel for whatever quarterback pipe dreams you've got. We'll, we'll talk about those a little bit later. 
Right, right. Yeah, there's a little bit more in the uh, in the arsenal to trade away. That's right. Uh, so Martin Mayhew, though, he had the same he had the same job title as Adam Peters. Both were vice president of player personnel. But I think a lot of people would have thought if one guy was going to get hired away, especially in this cycle, it was going to be Adam Peters. So what what do you think? What what did they do in their jobs in San Francisco? How did they differ? Um, and why do you think that made Mayhew a bit more attractive for for the role of Washington? Well, I think Mayhew was attractive in Washington because Mayhew, I mean, he's not very well known out here, but in Washington, he he is well known. He was, uh, I remember him as a a cornerback, and, and I forget how he kind of stepped in to the starting lineup, but I want to say it was a surprise, like there was a an injury to another starter, and so um, he had to sort of get his... NFL start a little sooner than people expected, and he rose to the occasion. Um, I, I, I always call him the uh, Washington's version of, of Jeff Wilson uh, back in the in the late '80s because he was sort of an unexpected surprise. Nobody had any expectations for him, and yet here he was thrust into a starting role, and he was starting opposite Daryl Green, and they did really well. They won the the Super Bowl in one of those years, the, the last time Washington has won one. I think it was 1991. So. Uh, my point is that he's fondly remembered in Washington, and so uh, I, I think that's going to, to play well there. And, um, you know, this is a, a Ron Rivera pick, and, and Ron Rivera has the, the Midas touch right now. So I think all of that is working for him. Um, you know, as far as their their roles, um, I would say that, that Peters is known for the draft, um, for, for college scouting, and that was sort of his his specialty. So... Um, he was uh, John Lynch's right hand man when it came to uh, the draft, and they, you know, they traveled together. And, and Martin traveled on some of those trips as well. Um, you know, Peters is also the the young up and coming guy. Uh, you know, Martin has been uh, a GM in in Detroit, and so uh, Martin, when he got hired, he, you know, the kind of uh, demurred, uh, declined interview requests, whereas. Adam Peters was all for him. He wanted to get his name out there. So that's, that, you know, part of that is, is why um, Peters has been more high profile. He's just wanted to be more high profile the last few years. Uh, I, I don't know if that necessarily means he was more valuable to John Lynch or John Lynch leaned on him more. Um, uh, he was just not quite as under the radar as Martin Mayhew was. There was a, a piece that you wrote in The Athletic a while back when you were talking about both of the... You were, at this point, you were talking about, I think, about Peters. And you, you mentioned a story where you asked to talk to John Lynch about, I think it was this year's draft class or last year's draft class. And he referred you to Adam Peters. And, and so a lot of people were really worried that Peters was, you know, was going to be a big loss because he was really the, the nuts and bolts guy behind the draft board. And, and the Niners, you know, have had some misses in the draft, but they've also had some great successes in the draft. I'm talking about George Kittle. Um, is, is, is Mayhew, is that loss looked at to be as big as the, the Peters loss? If you were to kind of say like, you know, if you could lose one, maybe you want to lose Mayhew and, and not Peters and keep him for another year. Yeah, I, I think you could probably say that. I mean, I, I, there, there was overlap in what these guys did. I mean, I, I was just going back and looking at, you know, how much work did the 49ers do on Deshaun Watson in, in 2017? And um, I was reading some old stories, and, and you know, Mayhew was on a lot of those those QB trips, you know, the, the, the pro day 
outings and things like that. So again, um, you know, some of it is just, you know, one guy was a little bit more high profile than the other, but they were both sort of doing the same thing. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the, the questions now is what do the 49ers do now that Mayhew's gone? And, uh, you know, one of the possibilities is that they don't really do anything because, uh, you know, Lynch did have two VPs underneath them, but, you know, at that point he was a neophyte GM. He'd never done it before. He'd never worked in an, uh, a front office before. So he needed a couple of guys to help him to kind of show him the ropes and to, uh, uh, help him operate. Now that he's four years into it, I'm not sure if he needs, you know, that, that second person there. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. There are candidates if he does. Um, so I'm not, I'm not saying that, uh, Mayhew was superfluous, but I think that having two of those guys behind Lynch has become less and less of a need, uh, you know, the more he's been on the job. And last question here before we get to Salah, because there's some it's it's a coaching carousel with the Niners, but in a good way. Unlike some of the other years that we've covered the Niners' coaching moves, um, the the idea that Lynch kind of does a, an Elway and graduates into this kind of supreme football executive and and retains Adam Peters as a general manager. I forget where I read that or even if that was even being discussed, but I'm curious if you if you thought there were any legs to that as an effort to keep someone like Adam Peters or if that was just kind of one of those galaxy brain things that people try to stick to because they really got attached to Adam Peters in some kind of weird way. Well, remember, Lynch was negotiating a, a deal with the 49ers. Uh, remember, it came out that, that Shanahan got his deal uh, his extension, and it was really easily done, and it was worked out over a couple of days, but the Lynch one dragged on a little bit longer, and I think that's when that started to come out. Um, and I don't know whether that was negotiations, whether the 49ers were getting frustrated with, uh, you know, uh, haggling over Lynch's salary or what, but I think now that that is done, and, and he signed a contract to be there uh, GM for the next, I don't know, what is it, five years? I forget what the, the terms of it are. I, I don't think that that's being discussed anymore. Um, now, having said that, uh, you know, they really like Adam Peters uh, in, in the organization. And um, he's from around here. Uh, so um, he's got roots in the Bay Area. Uh, so all of that, that makes sense. Um, so, I mean, I don't know what the what the end result is going to be, but uh, I feel like since Lynch did just um, you know sign that contract, and um, because he works so well with Shanahan, I mean uh, that, that's a really good relationship. <laughs> Seeing all this Trent Baalke, uh news in Jacksonville coming out, and it just kind of uh, you know resurrects the the story about how he he couldn't get along with with Jim Harbaugh, and then didn't really get along great with with Chip Kelly either. Um, or didn't work well with Chip Kelly. Uh, so, I mean, you, you can't ever kind of, uh, um, you know, look at that uh, or, or undervalue that, that Lynch-Shanahan relationship that they've got going on now because that's, that's really the key to this whole thing. I mean, that's what Jed York was aspiring to do after the, uh, the debacle with, with Balky and Harbaugh, and uh, he's finally accomplished that. So I'm not sure he wants to tinker with that, that chemistry that he's, uh, he's achieved uh, recently. 
You know, that makes so much sense. I mean, alignment is one of those things that teams really try to get after and they can do it in lots of different ways and with lots of different structures. It could be the general manager hiring the coach or, you know, the coach having final say, you know, more the the Carol Schneider relationship that the Niners seem to have emulated. But that is that is not always there. And, and when, you know, you've got a, a chef that's getting groceries for, for or rather a, someone who's getting groceries for a chef and the chef's like, I don't know how to cook with this. Um, you know, it's not, it's not always going to it's not always going to work out. So I think there's definitely something to that. Um, but let's get to Robert Sala because he is now the head coach of the New York Jets. He uh, he's reviving his all gas, no breaks mantra, which I guess is like a thing in football circles. Steve Sharkeesian also all gas, no breaks uh, with the Longhorns. Uh, but I guess Robert Sala, he should patent that because that phrase should have never been uttered before Robert Sala. He should get money off of that. Well, you know, Robert has been insistent that it's all gas, no break, uh, singular, because some people say all gas, no breaks. And, and he would correct us when we, we would we would say that. So I don't know if Sarkeesian has the S on the end, because that, that would make it a little bit different. It wouldn't violate the copyright laws uh, on it. <laughs> I can just imagine that that's, that's exactly what I would imagine a football coach to do. Where you're like, oh, yeah, I'll gas no breaks. Break. Like, just, just like the, the, subtle, the subtle correction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it does make sense, though. I mean, uh, don't, 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 hit, uh, don't hit the break on it. I guess, I guess we say breaks. Uh, I don't know. Uh, either works, but Sala was very insistent that there was no... S on the end of break. Maybe he's thinking about like a single speed or a fixie, right? Where he's only got a break on one of the wheels. And, and or maybe it's like a train or, you know, like a, a old fashioned train. Okay, you had yeah. that, 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 that hand break that, that you had to pull. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It, either way, he's, he's definitely bringing that slogan. He's not eating kneecaps, which is good. Uh, but he no. is certainly bringing a little bit of that solid magic. Now, you know the the him getting hired is is good for the Niners in that they get some compensatory picks, but they they promoted from within D'Amico Ryan's. He's the new defensive coordinator, much like Robert Sala. He was a linebackers coach who spent his entire coaching history in one system, and this is the kind of Carroll now I guess Sala ish cover three. And people are really excited. There's he's gotten a lot of buzz. Uh, you know, there, I think three individuals are out on on record saying that they're sure he's going to be a head coach at this point. Um, and and the, the question, I think, though, is the, you, you don't know too much about him. I think with, with Solid, you got all those pieces about how he was a very strategic thinker and he's a chess player and, and you know, he's a very enthusiastic individual. What is Ryan's profile as a person that you can tell us from spending some time with him, at, you know, covering the team? Yeah, and, and I'm working on a big uh, D'Amico Ryan's profile piece, and I'm, and I'm learning things about him I didn't know. And, and so I'm, I'm really glad I'm, I'm doing that because... He, he, he has been a bit of a mystery, and, and one of the reasons is is, is he's a, a naturally quiet guy. He's not a, uh, a rah-rah guy. He's not a chess snuffer. He never was, uh, going back to his youth. What he does is brings in, in, an element of calm to everything, um, and he's very smart. He was always a not just a good student. He was always like the best student like in the school, straight-A student. Um, and, and people noticed that early on and, and really he became an athlete after he was known for being like the smartest guy in the class. Um, and, and, and you know, I, I've, I've been talking to a lot of people from his hometown of, of Bessemer, Alabama, and you, you hear them talk about him and then, uh, you, you apply it to what you just saw with the 49ers linebackers this past season. That's a young group. I think the oldest guy in that group is, is 24. 
um, Fred Warner. And Warner is also the, the highest uh, draft pick, third rounder. Trey Greenlaw is a fifth. Uh, they've got a couple of undrafted guys. Uh, so it's young. It's not necessarily ha- ha- have a great uh, uh, pedigree as far as draft status. But that was the most stable, calm, dependable group on this team uh, last year or in, in 2020. Um, and, and a lot of that has to do with injuries and whatnot. But I'm just saying that the, the linebackers, when, when I when I hear about uh, D'Amico Ryans and the type of person he is, you can see it in the way that the linebackers played. Uh, there was a maturity in that group, uh, a dependability tackled well, uh, that uh, I think uh, is really personified by by who D'Amico Ryans is. So, um, you know, that, that bodes well for the defense as a whole. If, if the entire defense takes on that persona, uh, you know, I think that's, uh, that's a very good thing. I think there's probably a little something to that. I mean, I think of all the Jim Harbaugh teams, and, and they did take on that kind of chip-on-your-shoulder workman-like aura. You know, reading a bit about it, actually, in your book that I started now that the season's done. Um, and and that, I think that the teams do take a little bit of that of that energy on from their coach. I think that that's definitely a thing that happens. Now, schematically... We don't know a ton about him either. We know that he's been a coach with Sala pretty much since his coaching, you know, since he was birthed, on, birthed onto the coaching scene. As a player, he played under Frank Bush. He played under Wade Phillips for a year. He played under Juan Castillo, Billy Davis. Um, and, and he played under, under Arthur Smith, uh, who, or Richard Smith, uh, who was actually a linebackers coach at San Francisco uh, back in the day. And, and, but there's, there's not really anything that we know or can speak of about his philosophy since we don't know what he would implement. Do you have a sense of, of the kind of scheme or tendencies that he may have as a coach or play caller, knowing that he's probably going to continue the same type of system that, that Saul left behind? Yeah, I don't. I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't spoken yet. There hasn't been any sort of press conference. There wasn't anything going on with the, uh, the assistant coaches this past season because of, of COVID, we just didn't have access to them. Um, you know, Shanahan has the ultimate say on this. So, and Shanahan has been the one who's been m- most fond of, you know, of the, of the wide nine that the, the 49ers have implemented, um, certainly of the, you know, the, the cover three, the, the Seattle type system. These are all things that Shanahan wanted with his defense. So, um, yeah, I, I would imagine that those things continue. Like Chris Kacarek, for example, he's going to stay on. Um, that was never a, a, a Sala. He's never, you know, there, there's no connection between Sala and, and Chris Kacarek. Um, You know, I don't want to say that Kacarek was foisted upon Sala, but it was something that the, the head coach GM wanted to do for this defense. And Sala, to his credit, was able to kind of accommodate it in, in what, uh, what the 49ers do. So I would imagine that it's, it's very similar to what uh, we've been seeing for the last two seasons. And a lot of that also depends on the personnel. I mean, uh, you, you saw Sala's system evolve, uh, you know, from 2019 um, to, to, to 2020 when, you know, Bosa's gone and D Ford's not there and uh, Ron, there's no Ronnie Blair. So you have to play it, play it differently. So um, I, I think adaptability and being able to kind of zig and zag based on uh, who's, who's available that week, who you're playing, obviously. Uh, but I would say that the rubric is going to be what we've seen the last two seasons. 
You know, that that's so interesting because we we talked a lot about Trent Balky and trust me, I promise I'll connect it here. We, we talked a lot about Trent Balky and about how we used to really like how he evaluated the value of a player. And, and he didn't he just wasn't always great at picking them in the draft. And, and it turns out that maybe a lot of that evaluation was Pragmarate. And, and what we liked most about Trent Balky was maybe what Pragmarate did when it came to negotiating contracts and making sure that you didn't overpay for certain people and putting in some of the contractual things and contracts that allowed the Niners to get out of some high dollar contracts when they wanted to. Um, it sounds like some of the, the things that we really like about Sala, you know, kind of the ability to bring in to, to really change his system to more of a too high look using more cover four, more cover six, using the wide nine. Um, you know, Joe Woods and then eventually Tony Oden, um, like some of that may have been at the prompting of of Shanahan. And while there is still a lot of credit to be given to Salah to fold that into his defense, still call the plays, get the most out of the players and put together a, a top 10 defense even this year with, you know, the pieces that he had, I think is, is pretty remarkable. The job he did this year, I think is more impressive than the job he did last year, given how, you know, the, the overall season stats played out. But Knowing that that was still at the urging of Shanahan, I think still that me makes me feel a little better about the state of Ryan's as a defensive coordinator. Yeah, um, you know, uh, Shanahan definitely wears the pants in this organization, no, no question. Uh, you know, offense, defense, uh, the GM stuff. He, he's got the final say. He's he's the one that this this organization is is revolving around, and and, and I think that's. You know, uh, you know, going back to some of the reports out there that there's tension between the the personnel staff and the coaching staff. I think that all kind of goes back to to, to that point that this is Shanahan's team. Um, he's the he's the engine that that's uh, that's generating all of it. Um, and I'm sure there's some people that that don't love that uh, the coaching staff has so much power. And when I say coaching staff, I mean mean Shanahan. And, and that's probably where that sort of emanates from. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, getting back to Shala, um, that, that is a, a, a tough balance because you, you do want to run, um, a, a defense a certain way. And then when you've got your head coach making su- suggestions, you have to figure out how to, how to make it work. I mean, you're the subordinate there. Um, and, uh, that's, that's your job to do it. And, and he did it very, very cleanly, uh, in both those seasons. And I think you're right about Joe Wood. That's another great example of a guy came in with with new ideas um and um Shala was able to kind of implement that into the into the greater system and, and that's that's what you want i mean you want your your team to your defense to evolve from year to year you want new ideas um sort of this lincoln team of rivals type of idea where you have a, a cabinet with with people bringing in different points of view and they're not always uh kind of talking the same language but you adjust and you're stronger because of it. And I, I think you can definitely say that about the, the 49ers defenses uh, the last uh, three or four years. That's one of the things that we we love so much about Salah and his tenure here on, on the podcast. I mean, we talked about how his his defense just it really did evolve and it changed and it got more complex and, and it got better, really, as the years went on. You think of the first two weeks in 2020. And he ran a lot of two high looks. I mean, he was basically in, in quarters, you know, for over 50%, in some cases, 60% of the snaps. You get to week three, and he goes back to 60% single high because of the team he was facing. And and I mean, that, that flexibility he didn't have in his first year. It was very much installing the system, getting the foundation, and kind of building from there. The, I, you know, the, it, was, it ended up being like kind of a little bit of a love letter to Salah and thinking like, man, like he was really, really good. I don't know that... 
we, you know, people always knew what we had in Sala because he was, you know, more of an up and comer when he was hired. But he was a great hire and he did wonderful things. And, and I really do hope that that uh, his successor, D'Amico Ryans, is going to be just as good. Are, are really smart guys. Uh, and, and I think it, it starts with that. I mean, uh, they're, they're not just uh, sort of raw, raw guys. I, I was talking to the, the, the Jets writer and, you know, the, the image that people have of Salah who aren't 49ers fans just uh, as an outsider. Is you, you see this, this, this striking bald guy on the sideline and he's, you know, he's jumping up and down and he's giving, uh, you know, chest bumps and high fives and fist bumps and whatnot. And, um, you know, you just assume that he's a, a rah-rah guy. Like, it, it's all, um, you know, surface stuff. But um, there's really uh, a much deeper intellectual side of him, and, and I suspect with Ryan as well, and we'll find that out, uh, that uh, I think really was the, uh, the foundation, the basis for the 49ers' success over the last few years. Well, that seems to be a threat because you, you think of the cascading coach impact, and now Mike McDaniel is going to be the offensive coordinator. He's not a, a passing or run game coordinator. He's now fully grown, fully formed. Um, but he has the rep of being, you know, one of the more cerebral types. He went to Yale. Um, you know, he he is definitely someone who I think he got his start in football because he knew computers. Uh, and the the Denver team didn't really know computers. So they're like, hey, you know, computers help us out. Uh, and, and that's how he kind of got his start in football. But there seems to be that that thread. Maybe it's Shanahan that connects with that kind of kismet spirit of like really, really intellectual, thoughtful individuals. And that's why he found, you know, Sala and now Ryan's and now Mike McDaniel, who's his new kind of primary lieutenant, because you've got Mike LaFleur. And I always get Mike and Matt confused. I did it a few times, unfortunately, on Jets podcast and said that like Sala was the best man at Mike's wedding. And I got really messed up. But the <laughs> Mike LaFleur is now the offensive coordinator uh, for, for the Jets. And Mike McDaniel, uh, who was the run game coordinator, is now the offensive coordinator in San Francisco. But that seems to be the rap on him as well, that he's one of those cerebral smart guys. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think Salah, you know, got his start in a similar way uh, with, with Houston. I mean, these guys all have to forget what the, the, the program that they use is. But you can imagine that some of the older coaches, uh, you know, just uh, are, you know, in over their head with it. And some of the sharper, younger guys were able to kind of take off with it uh, and really get their start um, doing doing the, the grunt work. But the grunt work these days isn't, you know, on the field. It's in the in the kind of the, the computer room and the film room, kind of diagramming all that stuff and, and putting it uh, together. And so Shala and Shanahan bonded uh, over that. And, uh, and you're right. Some of these, these guys under Shanahan are of that same mold. And um, certainly Mike McDaniel fits into that um, very smart guy. I mean, you, you hear uh, Kyle Juszczyk, Harvard graduate, uh, talking about him all the time. Those two guys really hit it off. And, and that's why, uh, I wrote this the other day that, um, you know, there, there were there were two moves. Um, Chris Furster is probably going to be the, the offensive line coach at 49ers. Haven't officially announced that yet, but that's that's probably going to happen. Uh, and then the McDaniel move, and both of those bode well for free agency uh, with, with Kyle Juszczyk having an attachment to McDaniel and Trent Williams having an attachment to uh, Chris Furster. So, um, I don't think that it was entirely strategic in that way, but that, that's definitely an ancillary benefit that they're going to get uh, from from uh, promoting and retaining both of those guys. 
Now, Mike McDaniel was the run game coordinator and and Mike LaFleur was the passing game coordinator. And you had Shane Day, who was the quarterback's coach. Well, now Rich Gangarello is coming back. He's reprising his role as Jimmy Garoppolo whisperer. Uh, and and I hope that he gets as much out of him as he once did when Garoppolo was here, here and getting a crash course from Scangarello. Um, but I guess th- for me, the question then becomes, what is Shane Day going to do if he's not the quarterback's coach? Does he move into kind of a passing game coordinator-esque type of role, even though McDaniel is now the, kind of the full-blown offensive coordinator? Yeah, uh, that's a, that's a possibility. Um, I don't I don't know uh, whether they've they've settled on that. Um, Shanahan goes off to, uh, Mexico after the season. So, uh, a lot of these questions, um, are, are sort of percolating right now w- without any answers. Um, but that, that was my first inclination is that that would be the, the easy solution. You just move Shane Day up to that passing game coordinator. And, you know, there's an obvious connection. He was the quarterback's coach. Um, and then Rich comes in and, and becomes, like you said, the, the quarterback whisperer again, um, that could happen. Uh, Shane Day could, could move on and, and, and go somewhere else. And uh, I've heard good things about Bobby Slowick. He's sort of a, a lower-level guy, sort of the, where McDaniel and uh, LaFleur were, I don't know, five, six years ago in, in the whole kind of chain um, as well, uh, sort, of, sort of starting at the ground floor of the Shanahan system and working your way up. So, um, I do believe that, that Shanahan wants to do that with some of his guys uh, so that there is this sort of flow chart in, in the organization. Uh, and, and that's what it was, you know, obviously during the, the, the Bill Walsh era uh, and especially George Seifert. You had really good, smart, young assistants kind of uh, scroll through here, um, uh, you know, uh, and then become head coaches. And so that's, that's what he wants to sort of recapture um, uh, with, with this group. And, you know, we're starting to see it in this, uh, this hiring cycle. And it's really smart. I mean, when you have, and I think they've, they've already, uh, I think interviewed a former Seahawks defensive lineman to be an assistant defensive line coach to, you know, to kind of continue that pipeline so that if you lose a coach, you have someone in waiting there ready to take that spot. It's, it's incredibly smart. And it's what I think really good sustainable franchises do Two two final questions here. One, you mentioned Juszczyk and Williams being really tied to their position coach. We know that Scangarello, uh, his his son is Nick Mullins. Uh, not really, but they just look alike. Um, and he was the guy who really found Nick Mullins and, and you know asked the Niners to take a look at him and eventually uh, was the driving force behind signing him. Do you think that bode that makes the case for keeping Mullins better next year? Yeah, it's going to be... Uh... Uh, a competition between Scangarello's son and um, Shanahan's son, C.J. Beathard, I think, uh, in, in this regard. <laughs> Again, I would say uh, Shanahan would, would, would win out in that regard. Um, Mullins has the, you know, the, the additional murkiness of you know, what, what's, what's happening with his arm. Um, he, he had an operation on that, uh, that ligament in the elbow, and so um, it, that's really a rare injury for a quarterback. Um, I remember uh, Ben Roethlisberger, the initial reports were that uh, he had Tommy John surgery and then it turns out it wasn't quite Tommy John surgery and he was uh, out for, I don't know, four, four or five months. So um, we really haven't figured out what this, uh, this injury is and what the prognosis is, but I think that's going to play a big role in, you know, is Nick Mullins back during the, the full off season? Is he somebody that they can bring in? 
when the season begins and, you know, he's on IR to start the season, uh, I don't know. But uh, uh, we've got uh, two quarterbacks under contract right now for the 49ers uh, for 2021. They're, they're Josh Johnson and Jimmy Garoppolo. So there are two more spots open. I would my my guess is that one of them goes to a rookie, uh, and probably a draft pick, and then the other one goes to um, somebody like Mullins or or Beathard, somebody who's familiar with the system. Um, I, I could definitely see either of those guys coming back. They would not cost a lot of money. There's not going to be a lot of bidding for for either one of those players. Look, all I'm saying is if you put his arm in a cast at a 90-degree angle and hold it there for a while and then break that cast open, his arm gets stronger. I saw it in a movie once called Rookie of the Year, and movies never lie to me. So we can improve Mullen's arm strength that way and make him a better quarterback simply by putting his arm in a cast. Well, under that logic, you'd get a mule to come in and, and kick field goals for you because I saw that in like 1978 and that mule was kicking them from like 65, 70 yards. The Niners do need to get better at, you know, more efficient at spending money in the kicking game. So I think that may not be uh, that we should, we should send that up the chain. You should go ahead and uh, m- mention that in a press conference. <laughs> yeah, but Prog, Prog would be the first guy to, to work out the deal for for the mule and, and he'd nail that contract. It would be a very team friendly mule contract. <laughs> you, now you mentioned quarterbacks and, and we'll end here before I got some quick hits for you. Cause I can't let you leave without, yeah. without some quick hits, but Deshaun Watson, let's talk a little bit about him because really the question is, you know, it, it's less about viability. Cause I think it's, 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 we know it's an outside shot. And, and, and that's it really largely depends on Deshaun Watson really flexing what little leverage he has, which is that no trade clause and the ability to set a whole season. None of this gets off the ground without that and without picking his spot. But if you're the Niners, do you even entertain a, a blockbuster like package to get someone like Deshaun Watson? And if so, what do you think they'd be able to part with? Well, um, I think they, they definitely need to entertain it. I mean, they definitely need to look into it. They, they have not been a team that has wanted to, you know, part with all. I mean, you know, Odell Beckham, for example, came up as a, as a possibility. And, and they really wanted him. I mean, uh, you know, that, that was somebody that Shanahan, like I said, Shanahan calls the shots on these things. And if Shanahan wants the guy, they, they look heavily into it. Um, but, uh, I, I forget what it, the ultimate uh, trade package was, but, um, you know, the, the 49ers bowed out before it got to that point. So, um, again, I mean, this, this is the philosophy of the team at work and the philosophy of the team has been, um, that, you know, you continue to, to build through the draft, um, and you try to get as many draft picks as you want. The other part of it is that they haven't gone uh, gangbusters for, for quarterbacks. I think that Shanahan believes that, and, and we've seen this in the types of guys that he's picked, that you know the, the, the Kirk Cousins of the world, the, the C.J. Beathers, can um, win you championships. Um, now, yeah, I'm not saying that's correct. I'm just saying that that's how he thinks about this situation. Uh, so I, I, I don't, just don't think that they are – uh, a uh, 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 a tandem, uh, Lynch and Shanahan, that would really get too deep into the, um, you know, the the the, the, the compensation package, um, you know, before they decide, oh, this is this is far too rich for us, 
um, we're, we, we can't we can't hang anymore. And you know, there are other teams that that have better compensation. So I mean, that, that's that's how I see it. Um, uh, I mean, uh, I, I, I certainly can be wrong on this. Deshaun Watson does seem like a guy that you would want to bring in uh, if you want to, you know, win for the next decade or so, compete with the Kyler Murrays and the Russell Wilsons of the world. But um, that, that's just how, you know, reading the history and the tea leaves, that's, that's kind of how I see it happening. Mike Sando, your, your colleague at The Athletic, had an interesting trade package in, in the hypothetical world in which the Niners made this move. Uh, and it was Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Bosa, a 2021 first, so the 12th pick overall, and a 2022 second, which upgrades to a first if the Niners make the playoffs. Um, that's, that's a lot to give. Uh, would, you, uh, would you make that deal if you're the Niners? I would, yeah. I, I would make that deal if I was the Niners. I mean, look at the, the way I see it. Way the GM Matt Barrow sees it. Uh, look at the teams that have been steadily good over the last 15 years or so. Um, they're the Saints. They're the Patriots. They're teams that have uh, constancy, stability at, at quarterback. You're seeing it from the, the Seahawks, too. They haven't been uh, good for 15, but as, as long as Russell Wilson's been there, they've been competitive. So to me, I, I, I think it's it's worth it uh, to do something like that. Now, uh, the, the Sando piece had you know those hypotheticals from, from lots of teams. So you know, it's ultimately up to the, the Texans to kind of weigh those together uh, and I thought some of the other packages would be more um, uh, tempting for the Texans to do. But, but yeah, that, I, w- I would definitely look at that package. You know, remember, I mean, uh, Deshaun Watson is upset with Houston over the way that the front office has been operating, that you know, they're not really taking his input in, in, the, in the coaching search. One of the guys he wants is Eric Bieniemy. So if, if the Texans end up hiring the enemy. I, I don't know if this is uh, an issue any longer or if, uh, if a trade is still a possibility. So it, it, it may only be, you know, a, a few more days we can, we can kind of talk about this as a possibility because there's the potential for it to be over as an issue fairly quickly. But I think people need to practice their Photoshop skills and nothing sets the 49ers fans a flutter like Deshaun Watson or Antonio Brown or people they want it photoshopped into 49ers jerseys. This is where we're at, Matt. Well, he does look he does look pretty sharp at number four in, in, in the red uh, home jersey. That's, that's, a, that's a good look. I will say from a from a fashion perspective, uh, I, I'm all for it. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed. Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. I love it. Love every minute of it. Well, you know, we've got one final section here, and that's going to be the quick hits. It's just going to be six quick questions. I want to get your just first immediate gut answer that comes to mind, and then we'll let you go since you've already been so absolutely gracious with your time, Matt. Um, So let's start. First overall, your favorite story from your new book. Go. Oh, favorite story from the new book. I mean, 
the one that we ran in the athletic is probably my favorite story. It's the one where Justin Smith sets all of Joe Staley's furniture on fire when Staley is away from his home. I cannot believe <laughs> Which, that that is true. And then he wrote him a check. <laughs> yeah, he wrote him a check for probably nineteen thousand dollars fewer than what the what the furniture cost him in the, in the first place. Uh, but uh, nothing, nothing. Um, uh, encapsulates Justin Smith better than that story, because uh, that that that's vintage uh, Justin Smith. It was so great, and then the best story that was left, or, or the best nugget that was left on the cutting room floor. Oh, uh, I like you know, there's not no nugget that I, I was struggling. I had, I had to write seventy thousand words. They didn't give me very long to write it, and it was during the Super Bowl season. So whatever I had went into that book. Uh, and I, I tried to make it as streamlined as possible, linear as possible. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's nothing that it's not in there. Well, you know, one thing that's not in there and, and I wish it was, and, um, you know, would be to really look at the, the Kaepernick story, um, that that's deserving of its own book, uh, obviously. Um, and that would require Kaepernick, but Kaepernick just doesn't talk to anybody anymore. He's sort of kind of receded. Um, doesn't really do media. So that was, that was, uh, you know, my, one regret that I had that, uh, I wasn't able to get a hold of him and sort of, you know, bulk up that section of the book, uh, to where it should have been. You know, one thing that I, I just got to the part where you're talking to Roman about the Super Bowl in 2012, and he confirmed to me what, and what I think we all thought, which is if they don't call that timeout on third down, You've got quarterback power. It's a walk-in touchdown. Um, and it was yeah. really fascinating to hear Roman's thought process on why he moved to a different play. And, and now he, kn- he knows they're going to go to a zero blitz. Um, and, and, you know, just knowing that, I can't even imagine what that was like for Roman or the team. But yeah, it was, it's really, really good. If, if, you haven't, if you're listening and you haven't picked up uh, Matt Barrow's book, you should definitely do so. Yeah, Roman was terrific, by the way. I mean, he was just a, a great resource for this because he remembered everything precisely. I mean, when you do books like that, you realize that human memories are are very faulty because you'll go back and and check something and realize, Ooh, he's got the entire year wrong. That was 2008, not 2007. But Roman was the exception. I mean, he remembered down in distance. He remembered time on the clock. He remembered the play call. He remembered who was aligned left, who was aligned right. Um, he's got a, a photographic memory, a very impressive memory. Uh, and, uh, that made him a really nice resource for this book. That's great. I can't wait to, to finish it up and wrap it up. It's, it's so far, it's been fantastic. So it's, it's very, very, very good. Um, all right, let's look forward to this season, more receiving yards in the upcoming season, Brandon Ayuk or Debo Samuel. I, 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 uh, think that they'll, Finish exactly with the same number, eight thirty-three for both guys. <laughs> I'm I'm pinning you down. You can't use rush yards as a tiebreaker. Who has more receiving yards? I'm gonna go with Ayuk. Um, uh, Samuel has has had uh, a, a, an injury history, and it goes back to college uh, as well. So uh, you know the, the the history suggests that he's not going to play sixteen games. Uh, Brandon Ayuk didn't play sixteen this last season either, but. Um, at least one of them was it one or two? I forget. He missed four games, and at least one of them was COVID-related. Uh, so I, I'll say that uh, Ayuk ends up with more receiving yards. Now, total yards, 
that that may be a different question because I think Debo Samuel is going to have a lot of rushing yards too. But receiving yards, I'll go with Ayuk. Do you, you mentioned earlier that the Niners are may have a rookie quarterback? Do the Niners pick a quarterback in the first round? I don't think so. I think that they go defensive end in the first round. But the one guy that makes me uh, that I think is intriguing, and I don't know where he's going to be picked. Um, it's just such an oddball year is, is Trey Lance from North Dakota state. Um, he would be really an interesting pick and I can totally see him getting to, to pick number 12 and it, it maybe even kind of falls into the end of the first round. I mean, he played one game, uh, this past season, uh, because of, uh, pandemic reasons. Um, and he plays at North Dakota state. So the, uh, the level of competition isn't very good. So he's hard to evaluate. And uh, I, I just don't know what that's going to mean. Probably at the end of the day, uh, being a quarterback kind of uh, rules the uh, rules the argument and he does get picked fairly highly. But um, he would be somebody, to me, that would be like a 2011 situation when the 49ers had Alex Smith and then they drafted Colin Kaepernick early in the second round. Uh, Smith played all of 2011. Uh, Kaepernick may have gotten one or two snaps at the end of games, uh, but then was ready to play in 2012 and then obviously eventually took over. And, and that would sort of be the situation I could see if a Trey Lance were drafted, that Garoppolo would be the guy in 2021. But 2022, uh, it's that's a bigger question mark. More impacted by the assistant coach makeup, the new assistant coach makeup, Trent Williams or Kyle Juszczyk? Oh, as far as um, coming back uh, as a free agent? Um, oh, that's a good one. I mean, I, I, I think that Trent Williams is coming back pretty much no matter what. I mean, I, he's at a point in his career where he, he doesn't want to go to the Jets, for example, um, and, and go through a rebuilding process. So, uh, Trent Williams wants to play for a winner at the end of his career. Uh, youth check. Um, I thought if, if the situation were reversed and LaFleur went to, uh, or LaFleur stayed here and McDaniel went with solid to New York, I thought that youth check probably was going to end up with the Jets because his wife's family is from Long Island. They have a house in Long Island now. That's where he spends the off season. Not a very far drive to, to where the, the Jets, uh, headquarters is um i think he would have followed sala to new york but uh mcdaniel's staying uh so i'll you know for your question i'll say that use check is more impacted by these promotions and final question in three words or less why isn't fellow beat writer eric branch verified on twitter he is verified did he just get did he get verified he has a blue check he's got the blue check uh yeah twitter twitter finally capitulated Twitter bans President Trump, and yet um, and yet supports Eric uh, Branch. So, um, yeah, they, they made two very big decisions. Twitter did in in the last couple of months or so. But um, no, he's got the blue check, and he's been telling everybody and and their mother that now he's now verified. So he's got real clout on online now.
They must have needed to get that exec room together to make that decision is really what it needed to be. You know, you get all the execs in the same room to make the decision about Trump. And then it's like, well, what's the next order of business? Eric Branch, uh, I think. Exactly. And I'm not even sure Trump was was top on the list. You know, Branch may have been the reason why they they called that meeting uh, initially. And then they're like, well, while we're here, let's let's get this Trump question out of the way, too. Oh, I feel so (laughs) derelict that I did not identify that he was verified. I am going to send him. Oh, yeah, that was a big deal. That was a big deal in the in the branch household. Oh, man. I love it. I love, love, love it. I'll send him a note and send him a congrats. That's so great. Oh, yeah. He'll, he'll, be, uh, he'll be tickled by it. Matt, thank you so much. You are a longtime friend of the pod. It is always fantastic to have you on and to have your insights on, on the pod. Um, and, and thanks for writing the book, getting the kind of behind the scenes stuff for all the stuff that we think we know, but and sometimes are confirmed and sometimes have no idea that you have parties that, that, or that you have parties where you burn lawn furniture uh, as just, you know, a matter of course. Um, it's, it's great. So thanks for, for all that you do. And thanks for keeping us informed. Well, and thank you for reading, and uh, thank you for having me on the pod. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. Well, that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Thanks to Matt Barrows for coming on the show and giving us all of the lowdown and inside info on the new coaches, especially D'Amico Ryans. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, go Niners. <laughs>